Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ubaldi Reports. On Sunday, America awoke to horror to find out a lone gunman walked into a nightclub Saturday, late Saturday night in Orlando, Florida, and killed 49 people. And eventually, he himself was killed. Throughout the day on Sunday, we come to find out that this individual's name was Omar Mateen, and he dedicated the slaughter of these people to the Islamic State. Now, he was born in New York City. Now, he's an American citizen, born in America. So he was born in New York City to Afghan parents, and his father, we found out later, had been a strong supporter of the Taliban. Now, he twice visited Saudi Arabia, and there um, were reports from people, he, you know, co-workers and people that he knew that had some really troubled with this guy. They really were concerned about him, and he had said that, well, these they said that he cheered the hijackers of 9-11. And again, he was twice, um, well, excuse me, he was investigated twice by the FBI in both 2013 and in 2014. Now, the FBI came aware of him because of his link to Monar Mohanad Abu Salah, who was an American radical who committed a suicide bombing in Syria. And through the course of the investigation, he showed strong support for ISIS and al-Qaeda. Now, we're starting to see more of these lone wolf attacks. We saw what happened in um, Paris and in Belgium, and we're definitely in the United States are seeing this happening with San Bernardino and now Orlando. Now, al-Qaeda was different. When al-Qaeda committed a terror attack, they had more operational control over the, the, the terror operatives. They wanted to, to train them, control them, plan this all through their guys. They really controlled that um, terror target. But the Islamic State is different. They loosely have loosely control of these terrorists. They don't even have met these guys, but they're going to inspire them and help radicalize them by what they show on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and the like. So they're getting socially indoctrinated. And a lot of these lone wolf attacks are individuals who are mentally unbalanced, who have some really severe psychological issues, but they really get radicalized by what they see and what is put out by ISIS. So we just need to understand that you're going to start to see more and more lone wolf attacks until we get an idea how to stop or how to at least try to confront this Islamic um, ideology of Islamic terrorism. Now, since the attack... Um, took place on Sunday, there's been quick condemnation of this event, and rightfully so. All sides came together and really condemned this. But, and I'm not, this whole purpose of this podcast is not going into the, um, what's, um, who is politicizing this or how the debate has changed. But the first thing that came out of it was gun control. Now, that's an argument that needs to be discussed, but that's not the sole argument to have. We need to figure out how we're going to stop this ideological or ideology of Islamic terrorism. But it seems like that was the first thing that um, was pursued was, and even by the president when he spoke out on Sunday was, he talked about, he did mention terrorism, but he really focused on the the gun control issue. Uh, we need how to take guns out of people's hands. None of the things they... Um, he articulated would have stopped this attack. Now, going back to what I said earlier, he was investigated by the FBI in both 2013 and 2014. 
And because of that, the, the FBI found no credible reason to put them on the terror watch list. Now, that is one of the big debates we're having today is, or at least in the Congress, there's a misrepresentation. Again, I don't speak for the NRA, but there's a mischaracterization of who gets on this terror watch list. Now, I want guns out of terrorist hands. Anybody on the watch list should not have access to firearms. The problem you're getting, and there has to be a compromise here, and this is what proponents of gun control don't really quite understand, and also those who are favor, um, who are against gun control need to understand. It's so easy to put someone on the terror watch list and on the no-fly list, and that could be done by a bureaucrat without due process. Now, you're going to have to realize we have a constitutional system. Stephen Hayes of the um, Weekly Standard was put on the no-fly list. He's a reputable reporter. Even Ted Kennedy was put on the no-fly list. So if it's so easy to get on without your knowledge that you're on, there's got to be a mechanism that if you're on, you're placed on it, you have to have due process to challenge why you were placed on that watch list. So that's another topic for another time. But the one thing that I want to focus on this podcast is we need to discuss Islamic terrorism. Now, we're not at war with Islam, nor are we ever been at war with Islam. No matter what we say, there's individuals in the Muslim and Arab world who are always going to think we have something against Islam. That's how they think. They don't think the way we think here in the West, and we have to understand that. But after this event, on June 12th, the president made this quote. This is an open investigation. We've reached no definitive judgment on the precise motivations of the killer. The FBI is appropriately investigating this as an act of terrorism. So he did say terrorism. And I've directed that we must spare no effort to determine what, if any, inspiration or association this killer may have had with terrorist group. What is clear is that he was a person filled with hatred. Over the coming days, we will undercover why and how this happened, and we will go wherever the facts lead us. But he did go into gun control later on in that topic. But the one thing I want to focus on is I've directed we spare no, no, that we spare no effort to determine what, if any, inspiration or association this killer may have had with terrorist groups. Right away, the FBI said this ruled as a terror, a terror act. He may not have had operational control or assistance from ISIS, but he was inspired by that ISIS Islamic ideology. This is what the president fails to understand. The same thing happened in San Bernardino. These lone wolf attackers are not going to be controlled by ISIS. ISIS, again, well, what they'll do is they'll, once this happens, they'll have no knowledge of it, but once that happens, they are going to call them just like ISIS did. He called um, Omar Mateen soldiers of, of, cal- of the caliphate in America. Soldiers of the caliphate in America. So they're, they're loving this because they're inspiring these people who have some you know, other issues, but they're being radicalized. This is the, the ideology that has to be defeated and has to be defeated soundly. And the president, after seven or eight years, doesn't seem to quite understand that this is what's out there. Now, he does go later on and he calls it violent extremism. Well, that's a vague term. What does it mean by violent extremism? If you don't understand the enemy, 
you're gonna you're no way you're gonna be able to defeat them now on june 13th the president said this as director comey i think will indicate at this stage we see no clear evidence that he was directed externally it does appear that at the last minute he announced allegiance to isil but there is no evidence so far that he was in fact directed by isil there is also at this stage no direct evidence that he was part of a larger plot in the sense it appears to be similar to what we saw in san bernardino but we don't know yet and this is part of what's going to be important in terms of investigation homegrown extremism it's not home, it's homegrown for the sense that he was an american citizen just like the the terror uh, terrorist out in san bernardino but what the president needs to understand isis isil or Daesh, that's called in the, um, the Muslim world and Arab world, they're not going to have direct control over this, but they're going to be inspired by what they see from ISIS. It's, it's an ideology that needs to be understand. Again, we're not saying we have anything against Islam. There's a billion Muslims out there. Not all of them, all Muslims are terrorists, but we need to understand that this Islamic terrorism is fact. This is how they get um, radicalized. Now, President Sisi, who's the president of Egypt, back in January of 2015, he, and I'll paraphrase this, he gave a speech that kind of was missed in the West. And he basically said he challenged the clerics. He goes, you guys need to speak out against this radicalization of our religion. I'm a devout Muslim. Every time somebody talks Islam, They talk terrorism in the same breath. You are allowing these Islamic terrorists, these Islamic fundamentalists to hijack our religion. Now, President, um, excuse me, King Abdullah of Jordan reiterated the same thing. He says, this isn't Islam. This has nothing to do with Islam. Islam does not kill people. But when you allow this fundamentalist version of Islam, however warped it is, this is what you're going to get. Now, on June 14th, the president really came, really acted bitterly to, to having us not name the threat of Islamic fundamentalism and criticized his ISIS strategy. Now, there was a news report where the, um, one of the, the, the pundits had stated that the president doesn't want to name it Islamic terrorism or Islamic fundamentalism is because that's what the military cautioned him about. But I just think it's ironic that the military, he hasn't listened to the military so far. Why in this case is he going to listen to the military on this one? Now, obviously this is, in the, this is a very controversial issue, and it's right at the middle of a presidential election. Now, Clinton and um, Sanders, they spoke out against this, but they also reiterated the fact what the president has stated, that gun control, these individuals have access to firearms. Now, we're not going to go into that issue, but that is an issue that needs to be discussed. But that was the, the sole issue. That's what they focused on is they focused on guns in this country. But they haven't focused on um, the Islamic fundamentalism and how do we defeat ISIS. Everybody says we need to defeat ISIS, but no one has come up with a coherent, long-term, comprehensive strategy to defeat ISIS. It just seems we go back to gun control. Well, if you look at the, the attacks in Paris, they use 
semi-automatic weapons, AK-47 type weapons like that. Well, France has one of the strictest gun control laws in the nation, I mean, excuse me, in the world, and they still had terror attacks. If you go to what happened just a few days ago, a British parliament member who supported keeping England in the European Union was shot and stabbed in um, England. Now, England has the most restrictive gun laws in the in the world, and still there was a gun violence. And now they're seeing an uptick, a huge uptick in gun violence in England, considering they have a, a very uh, strong anti-gun, um, really strong gun control measures there. Now, again, all the attention has been on gun control, but what no really little focus is on the actual th- threat of Islamic fundamentalism or defeat in ISIS. Now, um, Sun Tzu, who was a Chinese general many thousands of years ago, said this, and he wrote a book, and or at least was complicated into a book called The Art of War. A lot of his axioms about military strategy and stuff. But one thing he did say is this. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Now, I think he's spot on on this. Everybody wants to defeat ISIS, but nobody's given a comprehensive strategy. And also, when it comes to defeating ISIS or what's going on in the Middle East, it seems like we have our either or. Either we use the military or we don't. And I think that's the problem with our national leaders, especially President Obama's that way. He repeatedly has said, well, then you want us to go to war. He goes, nobody is saying that. But also, I would say for the Republican side, nobody has given a comprehensive strategy is we can take out ISIS right now. But the question then becomes, what replaces ISIS? What about the al-Nusra front, which is an al-Qaeda-based group that has battled ISIS? Because al-Qaeda and ISIS have really had battles over the last since ISIS became a major force in 2014. And the media has missed it. They think that you know ISIS was so brutal. That's why um, al-Qaeda was against it. It had nothing to do with the, the brutality of ISIS in its method. It just came to, back to who had the operational control and what direction they wanted to go. ISIS has physical territory. Al-Qaeda never claimed to want physical territory. So we need to understand the enemy, whether it's ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Al-Nusra, or whoever these Islamic fundamentalist groups are. We need to understand them. But we also need to be engaged in the region. And again, that does not mean we have to send massive amounts of troops to the Middle East. I served in Iraq and Afghanistan as a Marine. I understand the region. I got my master's degree in that. I've written various articles on that um, area. And this is something we need to discuss. We need to have a comprehensive strategy. Now, because the United States waited, now there's misconception to think that it was because we went into Iraq. Now, that could be partly the true. I would agree. The President Bush took us into Iraq without a foreseeable plan what would happen after the removal of Saddam, um, Saddam Hussein. Now, we went through a brutal period, and I was there in the most, uh, the deepest, um, darkest period of Iraq in 2005. Well, with the surge, we stabilized Iraq. We had gotten a status of forces agreement, and what's missing in the coverage 
the President Bush had gotten the Status of Forces Agreement. All he needed was President Obama to get the Iraqis to sign off on that. Now, there's many speculations that the Iraqs didn't want us there. It didn't make a difference. Iraqi people did want us there because they knew what would happen once we left. The other mistake that was made, in 2009, General Zini would have been the ambassador to Iraq. General Zini was a former CENTCOM commander. He understood the region. He was against the Iraq war because he thought it was, and he was proven right that it was going to destabilize Iraq. The assumptions that we went in, we weren't thinking about the underlying problems, the, the, the ethnic uh, conflict, the, uh, the tribal nature. But he did support the surge. He would have been the amb- ambassador to Iraq. But for some reason, his name got pulled. Another ambassador was put in his place named Christopher Hill. Christopher Hill had... Great expertise, but he'd never been to the Middle East. His expertise was North Korea and Eastern Europe. And what people need to understand, in the Middle East region, power is what they understand. That's all they understand. They don't understand this, let's put our hand out or unclench our fist. They don't understand that. They look at that as a sign of weakness. General Zini would have been the perfect fit. He was a general. He exudes power. He could have told Maliki or the, um, the Iraqi leaders at the time, we got to start bringing inclusive the other ethnic groups, as more, namely the Sunnis and the Kurds, into the fold. Now, when the election happened, Maliki didn't win the election. He came number two. And for some reason, we maneuvered to put him in charge. So, And then when we precipitously pulled out all forces, this coincided with the Arabic Spring that started in Tunisia, went to Egypt, and metastasized itself in Syria. So ISIS was able to establish itself in that eastern part of, uh, what do you call it, of Syria. And then they were, moved, were able to move into Iraq. And the president miscalculated by, what it was in January of 2014, he called the J, uh, ISIS the JV team. And then throughout that year, and most of the information I received open source that anybody can get. I saw Fallujah fall, Ramadi fell. All the areas that I was in fell to ISIS. And he reluctantly got involved or he was pressured into it when the Iraqi army disintegrated. And a lot of people mischaracterized that. Well, how did we train them and all of a sudden they disintegrated? Well, the reason they disintegrated is because it was very corrupt. Maliki put his own people in charge. The, the army is extremely corrupt with uh, Maliki and Shiite henchmen. And why would a rank and file want to fight for that? So now you can see where we're at. But we're still back to the fundamental issue is Islamic fundamentalism. This is nothing against Islam. We are nothing against Islam. We're not at war with Islam. But you need to get these leaders in the, the, the Arab world to understand that this is what's um, hurting their country. And a lot of those countries like Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states, may not directly support these terror groups, but they indirectly support them. So we need to do some, um, we got to figure that in. But the nexus that we have to to understand is you're not going to get the Arab countries as much as Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, and all these groups that we got to get the Arab army. There's not going to be an Arab army. And the reason is ISIS is a Sunni terror group. Right now, the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, and and even Egypt see Iran on the ascent. They see Iran heavily involved in Iraq. Iran is propping up uh, Bashar Assad in Syria. They're involved with Hezbollah in 
Lebanon and um, Hamas in the Gaza Strip. They're involved with Houthi rebels in, um, what do you call it, Yemen. They're seeing this nuclear agreement, which was a bad agreement. They're seeing $150 billion go to Iran. Iran has not changed its behavior. They see Iran pushing against the United States, pushing against the United States, especially when they captured American sailors in a patrol boat in the Persian Gulf. They're seeing missile tests going off. And the United States does anything, nothing. And they see the United States we- being weakened. Now, but we need to have clarity from the candidates and the president how to defeat ISIS. Now, the president spoke out very forcefully against name it Islamic fundamentalism or Islamic terror. I think we're going to go to war. What's, what does the word mean? Words mean a lot. That describes who your enemy is. And we're not going to probably get it from this president, so he's going to pass it off to the next. So we'll just focus on um, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump wants to, you know, stomp on ISIS, but he gave a foreign policy address right after this attack, and he never addressed, he said we need to defeat ISIS, but he never addressed how to do that. What is his strategy? Hillary Clinton was almost going to be a replication of what Barack Obama is doing, but again, what replaces ISIS? How do you get the other Arab armies or other Arab nations to get involved? Because they see the threat differently than we do. There's many competing interests. There's Iran. There's the Gulf states, the Sunni states. There's Turkey. There's Russia. What do you do about Syria? Syria is primarily a failed state. I mean, what do we do? And this really hurt us when the president said if Syria uses chemical weapons— we will. That would be um, change, be a red line that they crossed. Well, they crossed it, and we did nothing. Nobody believes the United States will do what it says it's going to do. Now, the president says we've rolled back ISIS in many, many different um, territories. He is correct. ISIS has seen this territory being shrinking, but they're getting more aggressive around the world in Europe and in um, the United States. And it's interesting that his own CIA director, John Brennan, speaking before the Senate Intelligence Committee, that ISIS will send far more operatives to the West. Even though they're shrinking, they're still becoming, it's almost like a cornered animal. As soon as you corner them, they're going to strike back. And this is what's happening. So this contradicts what the president's been saying. So we need a strategy of what we want to do as we defeat ISIS, but we have to understand that it's all under the guise of that Islamic fundamentalism. Now, the other thing that has to be addressed is immigration. Now, this is a hot, very tough issue, especially when Donald Trump says we want to bar all Muslims. Now, we're seeing immigrants come in, especially the refugees from the, the Syrian civil war, come to the United States. This has to be addressed. This is, this is unlike any immigrant wave that came here. They're coming from a war zone who are from a countries and areas and entities that are at war with the United States. I'm not against having immigrants come from uh, the Muslim world to the United States, but we need to know who they are and where they're coming from. Because ISIS has already said they're going to embed some of their operatives into the refugee situation. And we've seen that in Europe, especially with the uh, attack in Paris. So these are some things that we need um, to focus on. And also the FBI, James Cuomo, the director of the FBI, stated regarding this you know, a few months ago, he said, we can't 
properly vet all refugees coming here. So we need to know who is coming and who's not. This isn't we don't we have we shouldn't have a porous border. We need to know who's coming in. And this goes back to the lack of a comprehensive immigration system. And the president has not been forthright of who's coming in. He won't even let the states know of these refugees being resettled in their states. So we need to look at that. But again, the the debate is all focused on gun control, gun control. And I got it. We need to f- take a look at some of this stuff. But also we need to fix the actual problem is Islamic f- terrorism or Islamic fundamentalism. That's the, the driving thing, and that's going to be there. And if we think it's only going to be gun control, this will stop this, we're fooling ourselves because the Boston bombers use bombs to kill people. Timothy McVeigh, a domestic terrorist, he killed 145 people without using a firearm. So this is going to happen. So we need to be more, um, more aggressive and stomp at this version of Islamic terrorism. And the one thing before I, I'll close with this, in 1967, Israel and the Arab world went to war. And every Arab and Muslim person to the man realized they got beat badly. And that's why they call that period the humiliation because of what happened that Israel, the Israeli army defeated them. To defeat this ideology, you have to let everybody know to a man that this ideology is on its way down. It's, anybody belongs will be killed or defeated and they need that's the only way you're going to stop it out but you need to get the arab world on ball on, on on board and the like but if we don't address this and we think that words don't have meaning if we don't know our enemy we're going to lose and i re, i'll finish with this out as sun tzu said if you know the enemy and know yourself you need not fear the result of 100 battles if you know yourself but not the enemy for every victory gained you will also suffer defeat If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. You need to know who your enemy. Every military leader knows that. Again, thanks for listening to Ubaldi Reports. If you get a chance, get my book. It's called The New Business Brigade, Why Businesses Need to Hire Veterans and the Untapped Resource They Represent. You can find that on Amazon or at any major book dealer. Again, you can go to Ubaldi Reports on Twitter, excuse me, on Stitcher, and on um, iTunes. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about this podcast. Go to Ubaldi Reports. Check me out. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and just let me know what you think. Keep listening to Ubaldi Reports, but remember, you got to challenge your political leaders, but keep listening to Ubaldi Reports, and we're going to have more like that. Thanks a lot, and keep listening to the next time.